HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. My name is Brandon Hoy, co-owner of Roberta's, a super duper awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. Broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Hello, Mr. and Mrs. America, from border to border, coast to coast, and all the ships at sea. Streaming live from the County of Kings, Brooklyn, New York City, on the Heritage Radio Network. Are you ready for the fastest half hour on the internet today? It's the Mike and Judy Show. Spanning the globe for high-minded hijinks and low-brow kicks to bring you the best in sex, drugs, rock and roll, and nuclear fission. They're too bad for radio and too good looking for television. And now, here they are, the Nichols and May of the now generation, your hosts, Mike Edison and Judy McGuire. We're back. That never gets old. <laughs> We're back. I would say like one quarter of our guests know who Nichols and May are. <laughs> the superannuated proto-hipsters. And our pizza's here. Wow. Here we are. Quick pizza back at Roberta's. Uh, for all you kids in listener land who don't really understand the fishbowl from which we broadcast, we're here in the back of Roberta's restaurant in Bushwick um, in the Heritage Radio Studio, which is a converted old uh, shipping container. Like everything else here, it's... Uh, it's recycled. Recycled, sustainable, um, and responsible. Which uh, brings me up to a... Uh, <laughs> responsible. Every day, everything humane. here is responsible except, except for, for Mike, Mike and Judy. <laughs> And Judy. Responsible. Well, <laughs> you are the voice of reason. Before we get started on today's show, the talking about Williamsburg and the hipster apocalypse, and with our very special guest. <laughs> Pointing <laughs> at me. Well, you, well, you have, you have uh, Robert's bio in front of you. <laughs> yes, uh, Robert Anassi, uh, Les Bohemia, sings uh, scenes from the life of, of Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Welcome, Robert. Thanks, guys. I'm looking forward to talking about this. But first, I do want to um, make a plug for our sponsors, Roberta's, and of course, the Heritage Radio mm. Network, and the upcoming fundraiser. Um, it's a Heritage Radio Network members-only party. It's September 9th. It's Sunday, September 9th. Here at Roberta's at 5 o'clock. Um, and food is going to be provided by the Gramercy Tavern, Back 40 West. Uh, our friend um, Brooks from Del Posto will be baking desserts. There are cocktails, Heritage Foods, of course, and Roberta's Food. Um, it's going to be a fantastic event. Um, tickets are $150. But... but, but- Tax 
part of it, at least, is tax It's deductible. tax deductible because Heritage Radio is a 501c nonprofit. Um, for those of you who pay taxes, this is an awesome, oppor- <laughs> this is an awesome opportunity. I think that includes all of us. Um, for those of you who pay the 13% taxes yeah. required. <laughs> I want that tax rate. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, come on out and hang out with such on-air personalities as Mike and Judy. Mike and Judy will be there. Patrick Martin will be there. His lovely wife, the Cheese Lady, will be there. <laughs> no, it's going to be a gas. And you know, uh, Judy, it's amazing that here we are in Bushwick in what used to be an auto body shop, Roberta's, which has been completely turned into the spectacular oasis that it's been accused of being, you know, hipsterdom central here in, in Bushwick. Um, can you imagine Gramercy Tavern catering something like this when you move to the neighborhood? No. No. Um, <laughs> and the world keeps on turning. We've, uh, reading the book, I discovered that Robert and I moved to Williamsburg the same year, and we lived one block apart from each other, yet when never knew each other. Even though you were probably the only two people living there at the time. No, no, no. She didn't think I was cool. Yeah, I, was, I, was, I was so cool then, as I am now. Were you still um, in your punk phase then? I was in my 30s. <laughs> so yeah. no mohawk, but... I was barely 30, actually, when I moved The lingering there. hangover... Yeah, no, I mean, we used to be able to say, like, oh, I'll meet you at the new bar, and everyone would know because there was one new bar. You know, now it's like, which new bar? No, should we go to, like, the vegan sushi place? I don't know. So Robert wrote this really great memoir slash, it's, like, tied to a place in time that was a really cool time in Williamsburg history. Um, And you moved away in 2008. Do you miss it? Yeah, I miss it. I mean... Living in Orange County is a little different from living in New York City. Do you know any of the Real Housewives of the OC? No, we haven't met yet. But oh, I'm, I'm sure you're I'm looking for them on OKCube. Okay <laughs> well, I think that'll be the next uh, step of the gentrification of Williamsburg when you see the Housewives of Williamsburg. Yeah, and they'll be all people we don't recognize because they'll all live at the fucking edge. The Housewives of Bushwick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that um, could Well, what happened? Let's... Uh, let's um, Get a quick overview. You moved here in what year was that? 94. 94. I was hanging out here even before that, um, doing these crazy loft parties and stuff in Williamsburg. And it was no man's land out here for sure. Um, I remember coming to parties. I don't even know how I got here because the L train wasn't in my vocabulary. We called the Williamsburg Bridge then the Delancey Street Bridge. <laughs> you know, um, And when we'd come here, someone would have to take me and hold, really hold me by the hand because I wasn't really fluent in the landscape. And we played this... Uh, building was like an old loft with a rotting floorboard we had these great parties there a lot of drugs and it was really looked like a sketchy neighborhood I've, and i didn't really remember where it was until recently when i found a flyer and it said oh north seventh and triggs wow <laughs> yeah and and the world keeps on turning yeah i mean so so what brought you to williamsburg robert well, uh, a couple of things. Uh, one of the big ones was that I couldn't afford to live in the East Village where mm-hmm. I wanted to live. And, uh, you know, Williamsburg didn't really exist for me as, you know, a destination. I just knew it was one stop across across from the East Village on the L train and I could afford it. Yeah, I mean, I moved here very grudgingly, too. I lived on the Upper West Side. I loved that neighborhood, except for my dick boyfriend kicked me out of his apartment, and then he died. But um, <laughs> That serves him right. <laughs> that serve him right. But coming from this, this, this neighborhood with, like, beautiful architecture, you know, the river right there. I mean, yeah, we had the river, but it wasn't really, like, Riverside Park River. Yeah, that's a different river altogether. Tell, tell people who didn't know, like, about... There was such a weird, vibrant scene on the on the water. It was it was pretty magical. I mean, you know, you asked me if I miss Williamsburg, and I do, but that Williamsburg doesn't exist anymore. It can't. I mean, the waterfront was just this giant 
open, you know, homeless encampment slash party zone slash, um, you know, obstacle course with abandoned uh, factories and warehouses and, you know, second growth forest and marshes. And you would just wander there and people would be doing all kinds of crazy stuff down there. And this is where you saw James Addiction play? Yes, now I saw it's a very nice stadium setting where they painted the floor like the sky. It's light blue with clouds painted on it, like kindergarten. All right, well, here's a tough question. And what's what's so wrong about that? What's so bad about that? You know, New York is a crazy place because it's the only place where people miss the crime. <laughs> no, you don't miss the crime. We miss the, the barrier freedom. that the crime put up to That's a lot right. of assholes who live in the neighborhood. We, now. we miss the freedom. No one wants to get mugged. No one wants no. to get hurt. And people deserve safety. But it, I mean, Bloomberg wants us to believe that we have to choose between either the edge or the Bronx is burning. And I don't think that's the choice we have to make. That's the choice that's been forced down our throat. Well, I, I think speaking you're Speaking of the Bronx is burning, um, you know, when the during that blackout in, uh, in the late 70s, 77 was that blackout? Yeah. Bushwick was on fire. The place we are right now was the first neighborhood that was literally burned to the ground. It's all warehouses here. It was never residential. And of course, now around the corner, there's an art gallery. There's your, <laughs> Galleries. Sushi, your sushi place. There's so, a new organic place and, opening I mean, just around I mean, the corner. Are you kidding? We're sitting right now in, in the hub of New York, uh, you know, eating central here. I mean, outside Palm Roberta's is a new restaurant with a hundred and sixty dollar tasting menu. Okay, I won't be tasting there. (laughs) But I mean, I think that Robert's point that it doesn't all have to be like people are the okay. The average rent is for a one bedroom apartment is thirty three hundred dollars in Williamsburg, which is one hundred dollars less than Manhattan's. Okay, that's fucking insane. Yeah. Okay, that's just fucking insane. My first rent, we should, we should do a chart with our rent, rents going up. Um, I remember paying $500 a month. I a rent for a really nice uh, floor-through apartment you know, on the Upper West Side. It's fantastic. Well, what, what happens today if you're a young you know, person who wants to make work and you want to do it in New York City? What do you do? I mean, if, you don't, if you're just a working class or a lower middle class person like I was, I wasn't getting money from my parents. You know, I, had, I scraped by on odd jobs. And I think it's much more difficult for a kid moving to the city today to, to do what we did. Oh, definitely. I and, mean, and I don't think that's necessarily right. And again, I mean, why why is an apartment 30, you know, the, the average apartment rent one here, bedroom. for one bedroom, 3300 bucks. No, that is fucking when they, insane. When they just so put up 10,000 luxury units on the waterfront, why couldn't have you know, why couldn't you have put up 10,000 lower income houses? Or even middle income or any, I mean, there's just... Anything. <laughs> well, this would be, as uh, the Republicans would say, the market correcting itself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, correcting our poor asses getting, out of getting, town. Yeah, exactly. Uh, no, it's, it's very true. And like you were saying about the crime thing, no, no one really misses crime. But what we do miss is... When I moved here, New York was very unwelcome to exactly the kind of people I was trying to get the fuck away from. Yeah. All the people that, you know, lived out in suburbia and... We're just sort of should be on the other side of the fishbowl. I mean, truly, they would never come here. And now, and you say Bloomberg, but really Giuliani before him. Yeah. Um, and, and honestly, every mayor, because what they want to do is bring in tourist dollars. That is the job of mayor, after all. Um, you know, to really whitewash the whole place and make it really welcoming and comforting to people who have no business really being here. The city wasn't really about, you know, trying to emulate suburban shopping malls. Well, that's where we're at now. I mean, the, the mauling ed- of Manhattan, I call it, but the, I spell the it edge you. like that. Remember when the finger building was a symbol <laughs> of gentrification? The, the finger building is like a pinky. The, <laughs> the edge is like a fist up our, you know. I just love that it's called the edge. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> with the least edgy, like with a Dwayne Reed in the in the uh, lobby. Well, you know the the surprising thing is that people come to New York City because they want something different. They want, you know, they want the diversity and the strangeness that the artists and the different. I think they used to come bring. here for that, but they can't. They they come here and they're given a sanitized version of it, and they drive out the people who actually make the you know the the rents actually drive out the people who create that culture. So you get this kind of paradox. Yeah, it's like New York, New York, and uh, Vegas. Well, well, you know there are, there are two New Yorks really, and New York has always been about money. Manhattan has always been about money, and that's a big part of it, of course. And the people on Upper Fifth Avenue shopping at Tiffany's weren't the same people slumming it on Avenue A ever. Now they are. Yeah. Well, now <laughs> Avenue B might as well Avenue B for bistro. Yeah, my first place in New York was uh, Third Street between B and C, across from this um, place that's now the New York, and it used to be called the Choice. <laughs> I heard a guy get murdered out in front of my building one night. And I didn't even call the police because we were so used to hearing gunshots. This old boyfriend of mine walked me home one night and he's like, holy shit, like these gunshots. I was like, no, they're just firecrackers. He's like, they're not firecrackers. <laughs> they're gunshots, I, I had dummy. a shotgun leveled at my head standing outside an apartment building on uh, 12th Street between A and B. And this is when it was really Al- Alphabet City. Um, I mean, now anybody calls it Alphabet City, you just know they're a tourist. Yeah. They're the same people who, uh, well, I would say, they're the same people who pay attention to the walk, don't walk signs, except we don't have the walk, don't walk signs. Anymore. Now we have the little green man to make us more like the rest of Europe because, you know, some German tourists can't figure out that don't walk in red beans, don't cross the fucking street. Can't anyway. Have, can't have them getting hit by cars. <laughs> yeah, as if. But no, it, w- it was crazy town back then, but it did provide uh, urgency, uh, the sense of chaos, the energy, the tension was great for art, and I think that's essential. And also, you know, when you stumbled into a bar downtown, you didn't know who you were going to be sitting next to at the bar. It could be some poet down on his luck who is never going to make ends meet or it could be like the next great film director or someone who was already successful and that's where they chose to live and, and drink or or you know a puerto rican gangster or yep. you know an you know an italian like sausage maker it, it could have there was just all kinds of people they were, weren't all drawn from the upper middle classes and wealthy which is increasingly the case one thing we have to talk about as far as crime like crime in air quotes goes is the pool the pool is Ooh. so hilarious because it's gorgeous. It's actually really fun. The reason it got shot, shut down the first time was because of like people not wanting brown people in the same water as them. And now we're going through the same hysteria. <laughs> and this would be a McCarran pool for those uh, of y'all out there who. Is there another pool in New York City? Like it's it's <laughs> it's, it's on CNN. Like because some kids were back. Well, uh, now well, that's the thing too. Williamsburg well, is on <laughs> CNN. Williamsburg is the center of you know hipster whatever from you know London to Paris to wherever. Everybody knows about Williamsburg now, and and yeah, but the pool is is, is own phenomenon. Well, do you remember? Do you remember what it was like in the a bit when it was abandoned? Did you ever? Yeah, we used to break in all the time, jump, jump in over the fence. <laughs> I had a girlfriend shoot it, make some music videos in there. They were pretty. Yeah, they were pretty great. But I, I mean, the idea that. That it makes national news when there's a fist fight at a public pool. I mean, if if every if every public pool that had that happened, you know, teenagers who were too hot and like strutting in front of girls start start getting into it. I mean, but because it's Williamsburg, it's it's a big deal. And then you read the comments, like of course the post comments are especially egregious, but like. You know, I'm worried it's bringing down my property values. It's like, when haven't kids been assholes at public pool? I grew up in New Jersey in a nice town, and kids were assholes there. 
It's just like the way it is. That's our crime wave now. Well, you know, I also think, you know, speaking of the New York Post and the other such media outlets, things are being polarized, obviously, between the hipsters, which is, we're gonna, I want to talk about this because I'm frankly getting very tired of this hipster bashing. You know, yes. Speaking it, as an aging hipster yourself. Well, as a, or, well wait, we have to take or, a or, break. Or as a proto hipster, you know, you know, whatever. When we were 24, were we so bad? We'll discuss, yes. that, we'll discuss that and other things. But um, on the break, I want to play a song by our friend The Willies, who, oh. who, with whom we used to uh, play the gigs at these crazy parties in Williamsburg back in 1985. I used to go see the Willies all the time. I love them. It was a different time. Did something like that <laughs> even exist there anymore? Um, yeah, what was it? Uh, Detroit Cobras, I believe, uh, kind of like them, right? Yeah, yeah. They were the ones, though, the Willies. Um, so, but, you know, when we were listening to them, we were talking about, we were, what, 24, 22, uh, drunk. Well, I was like eight, so. <laughs> Okay. Um, I was like 24. Mm-hmm. Um, and, there, and there we were, you know, uh, wearing our T-shirts and our baseball caps backwards I guess and our, and our ripped jeans and <laughs> speak for yourself well yeah I mean you know I'm dressed basically the same way I do now wear blue jeans and cowboy boots and t-shirts and wear my sideburns long um, what makes a hipster though why why this hatred for all these 24 year olds who seem to me a lot like what we were I mean they, there seems to be a lot more money of course um, and a lot more privilege but I'm not quite sure of that but when we were kids we weren't that different you know we listened to you know Loretta Lynn and Frank Sinatra and hardcore punk and everything else we had our bands we had our way of doing things well there's something in the american mind that always hates people who are different 
right? Who think you know who are pretentious, who see themselves as you know modern being, day Bukowskis, being devotees of of the arts. I mean, that's that's been a central in American culture for two hundred years. However, and and we all have our hipsters. We all have our inner hipsters. I mean, look at me. I'm wearing you know beige pants and and an ironic Vegas t shirt. That said, hipster I think, motherfucker. I think the difference between the people who, you know, the proto-hipsters and the hipsters today can be seen in a show like Girls, right? Girls is about upper middle class and wealthy people in New York who want to make art, the, the children of the wealthy. And they have the concerns of their class. They have these really narrow concerns about, you know, am I going to get my mommy to pay my rent this month? You know, I'm, th- these people are so neurotic and they're so closed in. And the people I knew making art in the city 25 years ago, it was a much wider range of people. It was people who well, were really, you know, from lower middle class backgrounds, from working, working class backgrounds, who like scraped by and took risks. And I think the difference between an artist and a hipster is that an artist takes a risk with his life and a hipster, you know, does something ironic that looks like a risk but isn't. He drinks PBR. I, I actually like girls. I didn't think I would. I was prepared to hate it. I think that she's actually like very funny and I find it really refreshing that she comes from a nice family um but yeah i mean i don't relate to it like that but i i feel kind of bad about all the girls hatred um yeah these are not but like sex in the city same thing i didn't relate to these people but it was like sort of entertaining i think girls is a better show than well i think sex in the city had its own level of toxicity and what it did to poison you know the american mindset and turning new york more into a a shopping mall that you can come here and have these very safe adventures um and sort of act you know frivolously as as these women seem to do um and it was so far removed from our lifestyles of course i mean it was it was a new york painted for yuppies it was like dynasty with with women well, there's nothing. There's nothing wrong with girls. I mean, Dunham's a talent. She's clever. She's she's witty. I mean, I find the show really moralistic, but that that's something else entirely. But I, I I'm just saying that the people who make art have really narrow. You know, who are that going to be the next generation of artists? Their concerns are very narrow because they have and safety nets. They have safety nets, and art isn't getting made by people. You know, well, people uh, like us are being outcompeted. By these upper middle class and wealthy people, I agree so, to a certain amount of envy. There's a there's a voice <laughs> there's a voice being lost, you know. In and since New York City is the artistic capital of the United States, you're not get you know you're getting a very limited range of of what is actually being but presented. It could shift. Though. I mean, New York. I mean, New York has always been about change. Like I said before, it's always been about money, and it makes sense. Hey, when I was a kid, my dream was to live in Greenwich Village until that. I got shut out of that dream because Greenwich Village became the very famous neighborhood and, you know, real estate prices went up and, of course, it's a bit touristy now. Where Robert um, is living Okay, right now. You know, and then, okay, well, that's great, I said, because I'm watching this as a teenager growing up. I know what I'll do. I'll move to Soho and get, like, one of those big old lofts, you know, because <laughs> you know, yeah. that's at the time where artists were moving to mm-hmm. and it seemed to make sense until by the time I got out of high school, that was no longer a dream because it was, you know, multi-million dollar properties there and the East Village became the next viable place to move, which eventually is where I did move to live on Avenue, being a place where there were, you know, heroin dealers outside my front stoop all the time until... I eventually sort of found myself in Manhattan where I'm located. And the weird thing is, not once when I was growing up did I say, I can't wait to get out of here and move to Brooklyn. <laughs> well, now I think people are. Absolutely. Brooklyn's a brand now. I mean, well, Brooklyn. Absolutely. People come from L.A. to go to Brooklyn, not to go to Manhattan. You, you know, you've traced out this evolution of uh, and this movement of Bohemias from the West Village, you mm-hmm. know, to the east, to Soho, to Tribeca, to, 
you know, finally over to Brooklyn. But the fact of the matter is, Greenwich Village was a bohemian neighborhood for 60 or 70 years, yeah. right, from the turn, from the turn mm-hmm. of the 20th century. Even the, the East Village, from the, people were living there and, and li- you know, able to live there cheaply and, and, and have fairly stable lives for 30 years. In a bo- it was a stable bohemia for 30 years. Williamsburg, 15, 10, and these new areas, I mean, there's nowhere where these artistic bohemians can develop in New York anymore. They just get overrun so quickly. I mean, how long is Bushwick, you know, five years ago, this was a wasteland, and now you have $160 tasting menus. So, I mean, there's something changing in the way these places are taken up and transformed by money. Well, they're trying to, they've been trying to um, move all the creatives to the Bronx for quite a while, but there's still a lot of resistance. And and Harlem has never really been properly gentrified. Harlem's pretty gentrified. Well, you know, I was up there not too long ago. I used to live on 118th Street, Manhattan Avenue, and there was a large apartment building that went up on 110th Street, and the whole idea was, we're moving Central Park North, you know, so above 110th Street, traditionally where Harlem begins, per the great Fred Williamson movie, um, was now going to be, you know, like Central Park North, something that didn't actually exist, and it never really happened, and I was up there not too long ago, and it's pretty sketchy you know, when you Manhattan Avenue on the west side of Manhattan on the bottom of Morningside Park. Um, I mean, some of East Harlem is a little bit nicer. They brought the Upper East Side north a little bit effectively. <laughs> Speaking of the Upper East Side, there's a neighborhood that always got a bad rap as being Yuppieville, right? But it's that, the no, cheapest neighborhood. But there are still great apartment values up there where it's not $3,300 you know, for a one-bedroom apartment. And what really do you need in your, New York, in your Manhattan neighborhood? Maybe one or two good bars, a good restaurant, you know, 24-hour Dwayne Reed, and a subway to get you where you really want to be. Well, what made, what made the north side of Williamsburg magical and different from a lot of these other neighborhoods is that it was so friggin' empty in the 80s and 90s. I mean, you had so many abandoned buildings and warehouses that you could get this kind of critical mass of young artists moving in. Whereas even on the south side, you know, it's heavily Puerto Rican and Dominican, a lot of rent-stabilized buildings. Those people aren't moving out. I also think the reality of the reality of Williamsburg is not this hipster veneer. It's still in a very poor ethnic neighborhood in a lot of ways. Well, it's also... You know, be- with high poverty rates, high crime rates, and increasingly I think you're going to see clashes between that version of Williamsburg and this new... Well, and the Hasidim? A lot, a, a lot, well, yeah, the Hasidim, that's like a whole other show in itself. <laughs> it really is. It's it's A late night special. Yeah, it's it, that's crazy. I'm like stuttering now. It always but, kills- a lot, but a lot of the people in these poor buildings are being pushed out because like maybe they're ESL, maybe they're not like, maybe they're not citizens. They're being exploited by these landlords. One guy on North 8th and uh, Bedford just... He he had people come into the basement and destabilize the building, like structurally. So the whole building got evacuated. They can't go back. They can't even go back and get their stuff. This just happened to a neighbor uh, building in Bushwick that my friend lives in. She's evacuated. She could go back in and get a few things, but even if they're going to be able to, you know, move back in, it won't be for five weeks. So she's homeless for five weeks. Um, but th- I mean, she has the, an advantage of being like savvy enough to deal with the system but people who are easily intimidated are really getting just screwed by these well, landlords that's, that's always been the story of america the evil railroaders versus the homesteaders i refer you to shane um you know i mean no corrupt real estate 
practices are, are the hallmark of, unfortunately, of a developing city. Um, I want to go back to the hipster thing for a second. So, is everybody in Williamsburg a hipster? hipster? No, there are yuppies. The, uh, there are yuppies. I mean, someone was telling me that part of being a hipster meant to, to have a lot of money, to have no visible means of support. I mean, aren't there, isn't there some 24-year out there in, in Williamsburg who's hanging out there who's, like I said, you're wearing the t-shirt, I'm wearing my blue jeans and my boots. I mean, what's the difference? Who's making some good art who's doing it who's here to be part of what i walk up bedford avenue it seems pretty vibrant to me they can't they don't live they come to visit i don't i I see the hip i think we're painting with a pretty broad brush is what i'm saying well everyone Mm -hmm. you know i think i i see hipsters as simulacra of artists Mm -hmm. i mean it's the accoutrements of the artist without the effort i mean without the art without the art (laughs) the paint splattered jeans with no canvas at home and and in the american mind you know it's hipsterism is just a, a series of things you can buy. It's a it's a bunch of consumer goods, right? Okay, and, and it's like, I, so it's a question of authenticity to a certain extent, yeah. And there's, I mean, a 24 year old without parental help or or lotto winnings can't move to Williamsburg. We can hang out in Williamsburg anyway. Yeah. You know, when it went over the years, maybe I mean now it's at its critical mass. You know, more recently, but certainly over the last say five years or so, um, when it was still. Ascending to whatever the you know mess it is now, I, I was sort of thought like, what was like Haight Ashbury like? You know, at the peak of its glory, before it was a nightmare. I mean, yeah. read, read Joan Didion's story about uh, and Greenwich about, Village. You know, five years before that, right? Things get you know. The, I mean, it has always been this. Thus, right? The Beats hated the Beatniks. The the <laughs> the, the, the proto hipsters hated the hips the hippies. You know, the original like gay men putting disco together. Disco culture together hated, you know, Studio 54 and the, and the scenes that came afterwards. I mean, you know, the original pioneers are always going to resent, to a certain extent, the people who just the catch newbies. on to the so we, But before we, we go, we, well, we have one minute. We have to plug his appearances. Okay, we, we, I want to ask you, where would you be, okay, Robert, if you were 24 and moving here to New York now, I mean, how do you avoid all, all this? What, what would you do? And how do you tell, you know, the, the difference? I mean, would you avoid Williamsburg wholeheartedly? I, I think it would be... No, I wouldn't. I mean, I used to, you know, I lived in, when I first moved to New York, I lived in Washington Heights, and I used to take the subway down to hang out at Cafe Limbo on Avenue A, just to, see, to look at people who look like, you know, mm-hmm. look at pretty girls who might talk to me. So, <laughs> but I, I think what, what existed in Williamsburg on the north side in the 80s and 90s was kind of magical and kind of unique. And that's why I wrote this book. All right. Well, before Which we all move, is available at fine bookstores everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. The Last Bohemia: Scenes from the Life of Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Robert, you have some appearances coming up. Let's plug them. <laughs> oh, I'm doing a gig at the 92nd Street Y Tribeca on Tuesday. Uh, Isn't after- that at noon? Yeah, it's at noon. Lunchtime yet- special. A little afternoon delight. Right. <laughs> afternoon delight with Robert. And what else do you have? You know, there's there's other stuff, but I can't remember. Okay. What, what Williamsburg needs is a hot sheet motel. We've got pumps. You, you just get it. You go get a handy pumps, in the parking lot. A little bit of a little bit of urban sleeve left. All right. left well, we're all going to move to Detroit, where you can buy a building for a nickel and make that the next Bohemia. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Mike and Judy Show, All right, Heritage Radio Network. Okay, we're going to go out with uh, a song uh, recorded with my band in 1990 that was recorded on North 6th Street. 
here in Williamsburg at, oh, at Coyote's at Coyote Studios. And let me tell you, at the time, there was nothing on that block besides uh, the beer distributor and the Polish butcher. And we would go down there because all the way by the river with a full bunker mentality, liquor, food, ice, cigarettes, whatever we needed because it was a long fucking walk to get anything. So this is the Ron Chance, uh, your fat friend. Once again, it's Mike and Judy and Robert Anassi. Thank you, guys. We'll see you next week. For listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. Yeah.